0: thank you to our worship team for uh, charity for leading us in communion and ginger with the jersey (laughs) you'll be happy to know she's been removed from the premises all right so just out of curiosity how how many of you are chiefs fans in here and eagles oh there's ginger never mind i lied she's here all right and how many eagles fans sorry and how many like me just don't care anymore? All right. <laughs> yep, it's just a, a reason to get together and have food at this point. So anyway. All right, one more question. How many of you are riddle people? I mean, like, you, you enjoy a good riddle. Okay, nobody. That, that's, a good, <laughs> that's a good story. All right, thank you. All right. Sheesh. Okay, I'm going to throw a riddle at you, and then we're going to talk about that for a minute, okay? So this is something that actually, it's not just a riddle. This has been used um, as part of the interview process um, across different companies. And it presents a bit of a moral ethical dilemma. But let, let me read this to you. You're driving your car on a wild stormy night. You pass by a bus stop and see three people waiting for the bus. One, an old woman who looks as though she's about to die. Number two, an old friend who once saved your life. Number three, the perfect dream man or woman you have always, always idealized and dreamed of. All right. Which do you offer a ride knowing you could only have one passenger in the car? Now, before you yell out answers or anything like that, we're going to come back to that in a little bit. But just let it, let it sit in the back of your mind for a little bit. Now, uh, while that's sitting there... I've noticed something about people who are drawn to riddles, okay? There are, riddles tell you a lot, number one, about the person who is asking or, or telling you the riddle. And then they also tell you a lot about the people who respond to it, okay? So the people who respond to it, you learn a lot about what they value and, and the way they think about things and the way they, um, they work through things. And then those who present riddles, I, I believe there are two types, There are those who genuinely enjoy riddles, and then there are those who genuinely enjoy being right, okay? And the people who enjoy being right, it's not that they have the best answer. They just like knowing something that you don't, and they like holding over your head that they have something, they have an answer that you don't have. I bring that up because one day, as we continue through the Gospel of Mark, in Mark chapter 12 this morning, one day a group, a couple groups of people, approach Jesus and as they approach Jesus, they, it's really interesting what happens. Yeah, they, they, we've just been told that they were looking for a way to kill him because of what he'd done in the temple and what he'd been teaching. And as, as they approach him, they, they compliment him. They show him respect. You know, they validate what they've seen him doing. And then they ask him this riddle. And Jesus' response to them Jesus' response—we're going to get to this today, but you'll see it up on the screen—in Mark 12, 15 is this. Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked them. See, there is something about this word hypocrisy that Jesus—they weren't just just asking him a question that would have served as a riddle, and we'll get to that in a few minutes here— But what they were asking, how they were asking, those who were asking, Jesus saw through the question, and he saw something's going on at the soul level with them. He saw something. And and this word hypocrisy, when you look at the Greek definition of the word, it really references something along the lines of a stage actor, right? Right? Somebody who gets up and, and they, they become somebody that you know that they're not the rest of their, their lives and they're not outside of the stage. And they do it to please an audience, but as soon as the audience is gone, they revert back to being who they normally are. And so this word hypocrisy really points at that. Now, as you look at what these, what these two groups said to him as, as they came to him, you begin to see that the soul, the human soul, whether it was them or us, can really start to get divided up a little bit. That we can get prone to say and do some things that can begin to not be who Jesus actually intended us to be. Look at, look at this. Chapter 12, <clears throat> verse 13. Later they sent, and they as the chief priests and the teachers of the law... Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. Now, if you're aware of who the Pharisees and the Herodians were, you'd already understand this is a total contradiction. I mean, these two groups saw things very differently, but now they've united to try to trap Jesus. They came to him and said, Teacher, see, you hear the respect there? Teacher, we know that you are a man of integrity and already you're seeing this division. What they were saying to him wasn't really true of themselves, was it? We know that you are a man of integrity. So there's this division between them and really even themselves. Keeps going. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. In other words, we know you're not partial You don't look at somebody's job title you don't look at somebody's bank account you don't look at somebody's accomplishments and achievements or anything and go oh i'm more partial to that person and as they said this you realize there was a division within within them not even uh, between them and themselves but them and other people because this is exactly what this group was prone to they were very partial to people finally But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. And yet we see another division, a division between themselves and God. In other words, their words were true about Jesus, and their words were true of him, but they weren't true. They they spoke this language as though a stage actor. They said all the right things, they spoke God talk, God was on their lips. And yet, the rest of their lives, they were divided. And there's a, there's a truth already that we, we have illuminated here. That dividedness within us, dividedness within us will always declare its presence. You, you can't hide dividedness in the human soul. It's going to express. Have, have you ever tried to put gasoline in a container that's not meant to hold gasoline? Okay, so I, I know I referenced my, my lawn business days. Years ago, I, I remember I went to a customer's house. I'm mowing their lawn. They had this huge lawn, and they, my trailer had gotten a flat tire. So they said, you know what? Just leave your stuff here. You can just leave it in the backyard, and um, you can just come start here in the morning. And so I thought I'd be super smart, and I had like a, uh, an empty jug that had had, a couple empty jugs that had had water in them. I go to the gas station. I fill up my gas cans. And I was like, well, just have a little more gas for the day so I don't have to, so I can save myself some time. I put gas into these water jugs, went home, went to bed, came back the next day. By the way, I had set these on their backyard picnic table, and the containers were empty. And why were they empty? Because you don't put gasoline in a water jug. Just so you know, just advice for you, okay? Just as you go through your day-to-day. You want to know why? Because gasoline just ate right through everything. And it went all over the picnic table. And I did not charge them for mowing for two months after that. (laughs) But see, that's what happens when this thing, dividedness, gets inside of us that was never intended. God never intended for a divided soul, to sit within the temple, the container that is the human body. Well, things progress. They're now going to present their riddle to Jesus. And here's what they ask. Is it right, Jesus, keep in mind they've been trying to trap him, is it right to pay the imperial tax or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? To which Jesus responded, haven't you seen the latest TurboTax commercials? Don't do your taxes. If you haven't seen them, just go look it up, okay? Anyway, no, he didn't say that. Instead, is it right to pay the imperial tax or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? And this is a very crafty question. In fact, it was almost the perfect question that they could have come up with to trap Jesus. And the reason for that is because you had three groups really, that really would have been right here in proximity with Jesus, but that were very influential at that time. Okay? First, you had the zealots. Okay? The zealots, even one of Jesus' followers is referred to as one of the zealots. The zealots were those that opposed, they opposed all that Rome was doing with force. I mean, the, the name, it, it's pretty quick to, it's pretty easy to see the meaning of it. They, with zeal with passionate intensity they opposed rome and so they saw the paying of taxes is really just more slavery to rome they fought it they saw themselves as fighting on behalf of god for the things of god they were they were in it with god and then you had the herodians okay the herodians like the name sounds like these were staunch supporters of king herod antipas it's believed he was he ruled the land that the jews were living in for about 44 years and and was ruling at the time and so you had them sitting there and they were thinking gosh to pay taxes that's a form of political expediency we can further our cause if we'll submit to Rome and so they saw the paying of taxes as what it it was just what you do this is just what we do in order to get what we want and finally had the pharisees and among the pharisees there were different schools of thought But the Pharisees, they were very big on personal piety, this faithfulness, this ability to hold obedient to the 600 plus laws that were found in the Torah. And among the Pharisees, there was a hatred of what the Romans were doing as they ruled. And they didn't believe that to pay taxes was the thing to do. And so you've got this convergence of different groups. You've got different people listening in, waiting for Jesus' answer to this question. And again, you see that there's this dividedness about them. And before we get to Jesus' answer, we have to pause and remember. And if they had only paused and remember, how many times throughout the whole council of God do you see God's people subjected to and submitting to a government that they probably wouldn't have chosen? That when you and I read it, I mean, you start yelling, Check, check. All right. You start yelling at the Bible sometimes. Okay, maybe it's just me, okay? But you you see what Pharaoh's allowed to do, what he's allowed to carry out with God's people under his thumb. You have the Assyrians and the cruelty and the brutality that they would carry out across the people. The Babylonians, remember the prophet Daniel? Daniel, who lived in King Nebuchadnezzar's palace. And what I'm so floored by is how long he lived in that palace. And he didn't rebel. And he didn't fight back against it. He prayed to his heavenly father three, specific, three times a day, specifically, we're told. But he faithfully, faithfully just operated. Now you come to today and you think back to that time. Jesus. You know, this is, keep in mind, this is the last week of his life. And as we move through Mark, we're going to move into a trial, a completely unjust, unfair trial. And yet Jesus continues to be completely grounded in his connection with his heavenly father. You get to Paul. Remember what Paul said? Submit to the governing authorities. You got to remember who his governing authorities were. Nero. Nero, who was burning Christians at the stake and Paul's writing letters to the church. Just submit. Just submit. Now, I don't know about you, but there's something in me that's like, whoa. No, because we live... In the greatest country out there. Of course we're biased, but we stand for our rights and what we're gonna get at here, what we're gonna get at and if they had just paused and remembered that just because they disagreed with paying a tax and just because we disagree with maybe the way a government operates or or the way a president operates, right? If you don't like something, what do you do? You wait four years or eight, right? And then you might like things a little better, but there will probably be still something you don't like. But regardless, you know what God asks? He says, submit. Submit to the governing authorities. They didn't come to power outside of my sovereignty. They didn't come to power outside my providence. I know what I'm doing. In fact, it might be using Christians in those less than ideal circumstances that I want to do something. But when we get divided inside, not only does dividedness spill out and declare its presence, you know what else happens? Dividedness, the divided soul, multiplies its ways. And this is what was coming out of them right now. He could tell they were trying from a divided soul. They were trying to trap him because he was in the way of what they wanted. Think of it this way. Do do you have that super, super, super loud member of your household? You have like some of you are looking at them right now, okay? But do you have them where it's like no matter how hard they try to be quiet, they can't do it. Here, I'll just tell you, in our house, it's Kara. No, I'm just kidding. It's not Kara. Kara is, she's actually like a ninja. It is amazing. It is incredible, actually. In our house, you know, we've got three kids, and it's actually not them either. And it's not the dog. It's me, okay? How many of you, just let me ask, how many of you are that person? Okay, like you're just trying to get a glass of water, right? But somehow you knocked over the dishes in the sink. Every dish fell out of the pantries. The mower somehow got in the house and started up. Like, it's that loud. See, there's something about it. You just can't help it. Hard as you try. And in the same way, that's how dividedness within us works. We just begin to, we multiply our ways when dividedness sits within us. And so, Jesus, being son of God, with all the wisdom of God, answers this riddle, this trap question, and listen to what he has to say. But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me, he asked. Bring me a denarius. It's a Roman penny. Think of it that way. Bring me a denarius, and, and let me look at it they brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this? And whose inscription? And of course, to the first question is if you were to look at a denarius, you would see the image of Caesar. And if you were to flip it over, just like our coins and our currency, you would see an inscription that aligned with the image on the other side. And in fact, if the line of questioning could be continued, I imagine Jesus by implication could have said, in whose territory do you live in? Uh, who did God give authority over the place that you conduct your business, that you lay your head down at night, that you get up, that you do all that you do? And of course, the answer would have been Caesar. See, Jesus is getting at something here. You enjoy the rights and the privileges of the land you live in. And so if the coins, the very coins that you use have the image of Caesar and the inscription of Caesar, then he says what he says next. Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, give back to Caesar. What is Caesar's? And when you first read that first part of the response, you're like, oh, dang it. I thought I was getting out of taxes this year. Like, this was going to be the reason that I wouldn't have to file taxes this year. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. See, it has his image and his words, so it's his. He has a claim on it, doesn't he? Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's. And the other piece we've got to remember here is that the paying of taxes does not have to compromise what's going on inside here. See, and a lot of times we like to think that, don't we? We like to kind of amp up and power up and think, well, I'm I'm just, it it would take away from my worship of God to do that. And for them, this is what they're trying to move him toward. Is it to pay this tribute, to pay these taxes? Does it somehow compromise an allegiance to God? And if he were to say no, then they had all they needed right there to bring him before the authorities, didn't they? But Jesus is reminding them, and he's reminding us of something, that you can be an upstanding, law-abiding citizen, even if you don't agree with it, and still honor God. And of course, as we've seen throughout history and throughout the, the entire Scripture, when those moments come, Did allegiance or submission to government and worship of God when those hit each other? Of course, our allegiance to God takes priority, and it's not even close. But Jesus is now, having answered the question about taxes, is now going to answer something much deeper. And he's going to answer the very thing that was going on inside of them and can go on inside of us in the final part of his answer the dividedness. Here's what he says. Give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's. See, as the coin bears the image of Caesar, so the soul, the human soul, how much more does it bear the image and the inscription of your heavenly father? And just like Caesar, because his image and his inscription is on a coin, and so he has a claim to it, so God, because his image and his inscription is on the human soul, he has a claim to that life. This is what Jesus was getting at. He's going, yeah, 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 you've got a tax question, but you, you got something in question inside of you. And as he answers them, he's reminding them, yes, you give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and you give to God what is God's. And we learn something here, that not only does the divided soul multiply its ways, but he understood, and what he was trying to show his disciples, and all that he was trying to teach people is that when the soul's been provided for, it can magnify God's ways. A divided soul multiplies its ways. The provided soul you could even say inside the united soul, everything's in alignment. It magnifies the very ways of God. All right. Remember that riddle I gave you at the beginning? Some of you are like, Nathan, I haven't paid attention to a word you said since then, okay? Let me read you the answer. There was one Fortune 500 company that put this out in their interview process. And out of 200 candidates, the one who got hired answered this way. You know, you're driving along, old woman who looks like she's about to die, a friend who once saved your life, and the person of your dreams in front of you. You only have room for one person in your car. Who do you take? Here's what they said. I would give the car keys to my old friend and let him take the lady to the hospital, and I'd stay behind and wait for the bus with the woman of my dreams. (laughs) Wow. How many of you got that? You Googled it, didn't you? All right. (laughs) But did you catch that in that answer, the beauty, the beauty of what Jesus is saying? When I know I've been so provided for, I know that paying taxes doesn't take away from my relationship here. And it doesn't take away from my worship and it doesn't take away from the abundant life that Jesus came to give. See, a provided soul can magnify his ways. And what was his way? To think of others. And so here, I don't know if this is a Christian or not, but wow, look at that. I'm going to let them take the car. And yeah, there was a benefit out of it, I guess. He got to hang out with the person of his dreams, right? See, I have to think that that's what the soul that understands God's provision at the cross, his son, what he did for us, that's how a soul moves through this world, this life. Understanding I'm completely provided for. And yeah, maybe the stuff at the government level, it's not ideal. Stuff at the human level, when I see all the people stuff, you know, it, it can rear its ugly head. I understand that it doesn't have to take away from what he's done for me in here. Now, here's where they got all turned around. And here's what Jesus is unearthing. And here's where we get turned around. Just like a coin. Think about the coin. What What did Jesus say? An image and an inscription. Let me just address four groups of people in here real quick. And you may still be figuring out which you're part of. But you really got four groups of people that move through life in different ways. And the first are those that they've got somebody else's image, and somebody else's inscription or words sitting there. That is, it's just been a life devoted to something outside God, and and we give all our attention to the words outside of God, and those get our respect, and those get our obedience, and those get everything else, and that becomes the focus. And it doesn't take long for somebody who lives a life like that to realize you're going to come to the end of your rope very quickly. Right? It's just not going to work. Okay. Second group of people I want to reference. <clears throat> God's image. You've embraced God's image for your life. You've heard it. You've, maybe you've grown up in church. You understand that God, he created you in his image. And yet, you can walk through the week with somebody else's words. I mean, this is very easy to do. If I were to describe my teenage years, this was it. I showed up at church on Sundays... You know, and I'd get that reminder, but then the rest of the week, the music that I was pumping into my ears, you know, the people that I gave the most say in my life, it didn't line up with God's image in me. Third group, God's words are part of your life, but there's somebody else's image. And this is the problem the religious authorities had, to be honest. I mean, nobody knew the word of God better did they? And yet it was the way they used the word of God on other people. They didn't use it for people. They used it at people. Have you met those people? You know, they've hit you over the head with the word of God. Instead of showing you that God's spirit will use God's word to draw you, to point you to God's son and the redemption of God's image and how he created you. And you walk long enough, knowing the words of God, you've memorized and memorized and memorized, but without the image of God in mind in you or other people, and all you've done is find another weapon to wound people with. Now, those first three will create a very, very divided soul inside any one of us. And that's why the beauty of what Jesus just shared here it can show us a fourth group of people, a fourth way of going through life. God's image aligned with God's words. God's image aligned with God's words. That is, I'm constantly looking to his spirit to illuminate his words to tell me about me. I don't get it from news headlines. I don't get it from social media. I don't get it anywhere outside of him. And what you'll find is a provision of the soul that begins to live life differently. It's a provision of the soul that can actually magnify that, God, your way really is best. And we've all had to learn that multiple times, haven't we? But God, when you gave us your word, you were thinking of us. It was for us. It was for our relationship with you and your glory in mind. Because that's where the soul rests and finds satisfaction. And I'm telling you, when you trust in what he did at the cross to redeem that image, and when you return to his word, his inscription, what he has to say about you, the result is him producing in you the fruit of a life that could only be described by the end of verse 17. Let me read this to you. It's very simple. And they were amazed at him. And they were amazed at him. Now, if you're aware of these groups, obviously that amazement was a certain kind of amazement. It was a very offended amazement. But let me come to you and me for a minute. What would that look like for you? I mean, as you think about parents, as you think about your kids, teachers, as you think about your students, bosses, as you think about your employees, or employees, as you think about your bosses, as you think about your neighbors, as you think about the people that you interact with and you've got touch points with throughout the week, what would that look like for them to be amazed? Not at you, not that so that your name's glorified, but that they would look at your life and go, oh my goodness, you bear the image and you bear the inscription of God. See, that's a soul that doesn't multiply its own ways, but it magnifies His. Something to ponder. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, Lord, we come before you. I mean, it was five verses this morning, and yet those five verses, all you need is a word. Because when your image is so clearly displayed by your inscription in our lives, your word, and the things you say about us, and the things you reveal about yourself to us, then Lord, Lord, There's a drastic contrast between me going through life, multiplying my ways, and magnifying yours. And I know that's true of every single person in here. And so, Heavenly Father, illuminate to us. Illuminate to us and remind us there's no condemnation. If we feel like we've had other images and other words in our lives outside of you, remind us that you delight to show us that. And like that father of the prodigal son, you welcome us back with that embrace and an invitation to a feast, because that is the implication of truly, truly living our lives for your glory. It is a feast that the soul never goes hungry on. So write this on our hearts. Bring us back to to Mark chapter 12, verses 13 through 17 this week. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.